Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to do another long-form conversation. Uh, I'm here joined by Kelly. Hey Kelly. Hello friends. And this week we are starting our fifth annual environmental series, five years. That's impressive. I think it's the longest thing that we've done is Mission Hills, yeah? Uh, I think, I guess if we're talking traditions, it would probably go Love Feast, Number one, because I think this year's love feast will be seven seven years of love feast, which is which wild. is which is really <laughs> wild that I've been doing love feast for uh, like a like a fourth of my life, basically a quarter of my life, yeah. or yeah, pretty much. There you that, go. That is pretty wild. But all that to say is that our environmental series is uh, starting in September, and if you're listening to this at the end of August then welcome to our fifth annual series. This year's series is going to call, be called Mercy, Mercy Me, which is based on uh, a song by Marvin Gaye called uh, Ecology, Mercy, Mercy Me. And uh, we've, we've gone really dark <laughs> with our, our climate series in years past. And it's funny whenever you think about doing something for, for that many years, you know, you're, you're trying to say, all right, well, what is this moment like, what are we going to say about the climate in this moment? And so as we were thinking about this year's series, uh, I felt like we needed something a little bit, um, I don't know if softer is the right word, uh, but maybe balanced is a, is a word. So, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts, Kelly, about the, the series in general or the title. Yeah. I appreciate that we come back to this point every year because it's been helpful to see year to year as the conversation has changed that it is important and necessary to understand like the true depth and also the weight of what's been going on with the environment and mm. our environmental care um, to the point of creating a graphic with, you know, all of the, all of the trees on fire and that reality, but also to balance that um, with the sense that we can be, we can still find rejuvenation. We can still find a spirituality that helps us make sense of, you know, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we center environmental care, whether that's part of our community or in our own individual lives? Um, and hopefully to move towards something that still motivates us to participate, right? And to not just shove it to the side or ignore it for as long as we can, right? Yeah. So. I'm laughing because one year you did a graphic where you – you lit the Bible on That's, fire. This is, this is true. <laughs> and if you've seen the graphic for this year, it's mercy, mercy me in the middle of uh, some leaves and a tree. It's kind it's of very nice. Yeah, it's it's very much a 180. But uh, hopefully we can strike a balance there. But yeah, I think that that is right. It's we were just talking in church today about the the balance of how rest can look so many different ways. And for some of us, that is stopping. And for other of us, that's in the act of giving or mm -hmm. activism. So, uh, I think in some ways climate action and the way we think about environmentalism at mission Hills, uh, it's not, it doesn't look one way. It doesn't sound one way there can have, there can be a variety of different tonalities. It can be joyous and gracious. Um, it can be, um, it can be anger. It could be frustration, um, with a lot of the slow systemic aspects of, of how we think about the problems with, uh, with climate change. Uh, so wh where do you want to get started this morning? I would say with Mission Hills, own story of why, why do we center environmental and climate care? 
as part of what makes us us? Um, and then also, what does it mean to kind of go into the space of eco-spirituality, I think is a good place to start us off. Yeah. I, when we were thinking about, okay, how, how do we want to start this year's series? I think part of it was, all right, we've been doing this for long enough um, that we, we can actually tell a little bit of our story in this. And it takes, it takes several years to, to try stuff, to engage in practices, to do a lot of different things uh, in the community with, with Mission Hills as a church to say, okay, what have we done? What, what worked? What, what hasn't worked? Uh, even to people in our community that weren't around when we began this journey uh, to tell even a little bit of that story of why, why we started, why, why we care about this. And in some ways, why we dedicate a whole month to environmental issues in a way that, um, you know, the only other issue we do that for is queer issues. So these are pillars. If you've been around in Mission Hills for any, any time is inclusion and environmental issues and how we think about those uh, from a faith and spiritual perspective. How do we rethink those and continue that process of engaging in those conversations as a community? So uh, to start us off, I guess for for me coming into to Mission Hills, it was, okay, what what does our church care about? What What would we want to be about in the world? How would we want to live out our Christian faith? And becoming more engaged with the uh, Disciples of Christ, the denomination that uh, Mission Hills is a part of, back in 2017, they signed uh, a resolution with the goal of having all of their churches be carbon neutral, I think 2030 or 2035, something like that. And that was that was a moment for me personally, because I, I hadn't really thought about um, integrating those two as kind of a core value at Mission Hills at that time and didn't know about the Green Chalice program, which is the denomination's uh, initiative to um, to eco-spirituality and envi environmentalism broadly within the Disciples of Christ. Uh, and I thought, okay, this is something that we can, we can engage in, we can do. And so the Green Chalice uh, within our denomination has a, a process where you can be certified as a, a Green Chalice community, which is you make certain tangible commitments to transform your space and to center environmentalism or eco-spirituality, however you want to define that, within the life of the community. So we we started a green team in 2017 to, to talk about that and to do that. And so uh, we started talking about uh, community garden. How would we do that? Where would we do that? What would we want that to look like? Uh, who would we want to be a part of that? So that was a whole... Uh, year-long process of talking about um, about the community garden. And then we did just really basic stuff like, okay, when's the last time we looked at our in you know exterior lights, interior lights, all those kinds of things. So we really, over the course of the one and a half years, transformed from the little things, all the basic stuff, energy, uh, recycling, all of those kinds of programs to hit these markers. And then, so we, we kind of did all of those basic things. And Green Chalice does a great job of giving best practices, really easy, tangible places to start for congregations, to start talking about it, start thinking about it. And so we had kind of checked off a lot of those boxes and we were kind of like, all right, what do we, what do, we do now? This seems like um, good, but sort of the bare minimum. And so that was when we started really exploring, okay, well, what would a community that centered environmental justice look like, sound like, feel like. So in some ways we got a little bit of a taste of doing those 
you know, base best practices from a sort of a church congregational perspective and then said, okay, well, how can we expand this to have a broader impact? Yeah. And I think that's, it's been great to see through the process. I took a class as one of my final classes for seminary and was able to do an audit of our community of what all those practices had looked like, how it had transformed the community. And one thing that I really appreciate that Mission Hills did, yes, the practical, I'm going to change out the light bulbs. I'm going to install recycling, um, have long-term signage, right? Be be oriented towards wholeness, be oriented towards an eco-spirituality. It also took place in the changes to the liturgy and to the words that we use, the way that we describe God, uh, the way that we describe or talk about the earth, the climate, um, that I think is, is a transformative way of thinking uh, because it doesn't, it can't just be in, in one practice, right? It also kind of has to perforate through how we think about the earth. Where is our placement as humans mm. in kind of the grand scheme of that picture of what is, what is creation care? Uh, and I think I grew up appreciating the outdoors, loving being in the outdoors, loving all the, the creatures, right? But it kind of stopped with that appreciation. It was more so about oh, I get to enjoy this for my own benefit. But through a sense of both my time in seminary and then being part of a community like Mission Hills where the conversation centers um, the earth itself, uh, a true kind of wholeness to all of creation, all creatures versus just humanity as like benefiting right from the earth, completely shifted. Okay, why do we do these things where it's right. it's not just going to be for our benefit or for future humans, um, it's for the benefit of the whole. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And it kind of goes to how Mission Hills has approached environmental issues and eco-spirituality from a variety of different perspectives. We were um, we attended Climate Day LA for a couple of years. And from that, we had met and engaged certain speakers. So we we had this idea, I think it was 2018, where we did um, a documentary screening of how to let go of the world and then had a climate panel and had several speakers come. And that was a that was completely uh, just on what is climate change? How is it affecting uh, Los Angeles? How is it affecting communities? How is it affecting technology and innovation? And it was coming from, you know, I wouldn't make the distinction that it was a, a non-spiritual event, but it was also it was just saying, Hey, here's what people are doing in the world to combat climate change in, uh, in their field of expertise. And so we wanted to, uh, to have a holistic approach in that we were really looking towards all of the different fields that are addressing climate change and saying that these are worth hearing. So we have a full picture of what are the challenges we face? What are the challenges that Los Angeles faces in particular? And then how do we use what we do and our our influence to make a small impact and kind of incorporate all of these uh, ideas and experiences into uh, a bigger picture of how we understand uh, environmentalism and how we understand climate change and eco-spirituality and what kind of Mission Hill's role is in that process. And so it wasn't, uh, it it is a theological project, but it's not exclusively um, a, a spiritual project or something that you have to adopt a, a certain kind of Christian worldview to engage in and to understand that we wanted to we wanted to approach the the issues in a way that anybody could be a part of. Yeah, I think that's huge. And 
it is also still unique for a church to to undertake this, especially to put it out there of environmental issues are something that we care about, we take action on, that we instill in the way that we practice worship. I don't know of very many churches that are carbon neutral, and that's something that Mission Hills has already accomplished, and we're moving towards being carbon negative. And so there's been a lot of movement of things that you've done this year that have pushed us more towards trying to be carbon negative and also help other communities, whether that's a faith community or a situation like what we have where where people are coming together to one space and then being able to go out into their own lives and practice in those different ways that might make sense for a family versus someone who's, you know, uh, pursuing education versus another situation. And there is that intersection of environmental care has to look individual because it is an intersectional Mm. issue, right? Not everyone can approach being environmentally aware in the same way. Someone might be able to access, you know, having um, a hybrid vehicle Mm -hmm. versus someone who might not be able to, but might still want to practice eco-spirituality in their own ways. So it's interesting, I think, how we can create a space where we're going to do certain things as a community all together, but then that's also going to help create space for individuals to see it in different ways too. Yeah, that's an incredibly helpful point to make because I think that's something that my understanding of environment, I I came from uh, a background in, in college and I would say just as far back as I can remember as a, as a young person of it being an issue that was on my mind that I really cared about. And honestly, that I was really like had anxiety over and was just concerned about. And I think probably most millennials would say that this is the biggest issue our generation faces and the one that maybe we think about the most. And so it was always something that I was concerned about. Uh, Andrea and I, we, we became vegetarian vegan in 2013, 2012, 2013. So like going on about 10 years at this point, um, for environmental reasons and for, for health reasons. And, you know, that's a journey and it's, it's not perfect, but it's definitely something that we've, um, that's been front of mind for how we wanted to to live and how we sort of wanted to engage the world. Um, but then my journey of being at Mission Hills has been a completely, I would say, separate transformation as the way I think about environmental issues and its intersection with faith and spirituality, uh, with people that I've met in the community at Mission Hills. And so for me, it's just been a great learning process uh, in all of these different respects, whether that's talking to someone who is a full-time expert in some area of climate change, or I, I have this like memory of this family who used to have a, a plot a box in the community garden. We used to have uh, community um, families that would adopt a box. And to your point, Kelly, I remember having this conversation with this mom who would bring her kids to work in the garden. She said the exact same thing you said. She said, I, I don't have a house where I can get solar panels and we don't have enough money for like a car. So a lot of times I don't feel like I can, I can do what everybody says, like, well, you should buy this to solve the environmental problem. And she said, but what I can do is I can bring my girls here and we can plant stuff in the garden. And to me, that has been an interaction that's always stuck with me that it's like, it, like we have, we went through a three year process of getting solar panels on the roof of the church. And we have a hundred solar panels that 
way overproduce for our energy needs, but that's kind of another story. I'm putting you on blast, Bud Pruitt, if you're out there listening anywhere. He gave it, he gives too many panels. We overproduce and we don't get the benefit of that. So if anybody is out there listening that can solve that issue of us overproducing energy for LEDWP, for which we do not benefit in any way, you can email me at missionhillsla at gmail.com. But so anyways, we have a hundred solar panels that overproduce and that solar system costs in the realm of 90 grand. And for our community, that was a huge financial undertaking. The grant fell through with LADWP because they canceled the program. So there was a lot to that. But what do we have the privilege of? We're a part of a denomination that has a loan, green loan program. So we were able to apply for a green loan and receive $70,000. And so that's just not something that most people can do. And so it, it's only through the process of being at Mission Hills over the course of several years, centering environmental issues, learning, failing, slightly succeeding, failing even more, having these little interactions with people in the garden where you start to get a, a little bit more of a well-rounded picture of, all right, well, environmental um, climate change touches people's lives in so many different ways. And the anxiety around climate change negatively impacts people in disproportionate ways. Most people don't have, like you're saying, the privilege of these kinds of things. And so how do we think about that as a church who does have uh, the means and privilege, even though we are a small community, but we have to recognize that we have way more means than the average person in our community. How do we think about that? How do we leverage? Um, how do we engage in simple conversations? So, Hello. All of that is a long-winded way to say that we can think about climate and climate change in I don't if y'all can hear that somebody is Kelly and I are recording this at church and somebody is talking right outside of the bathrooms and I can pretty much hear their entire conversation. Okay, so that as a process for Mission Hills, it is like a it is a ongoing learning process for us. And it's hit me in big and small ways over the course of six years. As it should, right? I think that's the beauty of movement, um, that it's not, it can't be something that's stagnant. The way that we think about the environment, the ways that we respond to it, the ways that we engage in conversation, even though we come back to this one topic, I feel like we've had so many different kinds of conversations around it. Often, you know, if we get stuck in just one path or one lane of it, then I think that's where we run into trouble where we might either run into this sense of nihilism, right? Like we're never going to be able to succeed. We're never going to be able to fix all the environmental problems or rose colored glasses, right? Where it's, yeah, everything's going to be great tomorrow and we're never going to have to worry about this and it'll be fine. Um, reading through a book called Facing Apocalypse was super helpful. Um, her last name is Keller. read it for Catherine. a couple Catherine Keller, there we go, um, where she talks about seven different ways in which people kind of think about the environment. And I think this relates to a sense of eco-spirituality where there's a bunch of different ways that you can go about it. Some maybe move towards a sense of peace. Um, some maybe move more towards that eco-anxiety. So wherever we find ourselves, we, we can hope for that balance. Um, and to recognize that there is a sense of what matters in our individual lives and in our community lives. Um, and we also have to recognize the impact of 
of corporations, right? That mm. there is an overarching justice issue uh, that we can't solve overnight and we can't solve just by ourselves. It has to be a collective effort. Uh, we have to hold all of these things loosely to the best of our ability and to know when it's it's time to step up and step forward and when it's okay to take a step back and to rest um, because otherwise it just gets it gets that overwhelming sense of impending doom or, you know, we're never going to be able to do enough. Uh, Sometimes rest is the most liberating thing or the most true active resistance that we can do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that has always been something that we've tried to sense in our community and sense what's going around in um, how our culture and even uh, our world is talking about uh, climate issues. I think it was a couple of years ago when you set the Bible on fire in our climate graphic. I think that was the the time period where uh, Greta Thunberg was getting uh, a lot of press and there were a lot of protests. Uh, Sunrise movement has been, uh, had been something that was previously sort of unknown and had really like risen to the scene. And so there was a lot of young protesting and activism around climate. And so in some ways we, we rode that wave a little bit and talked about, well, what does it mean to be a climate activist? What does it look to like to be, um, really active in a public and political way, uh, with a set of demands for how we want systemic issues around the climate, um, to be talked about and to be changed and changed quickly. Cause we know that, uh, you know, we're on a, we're on a short time scale when it comes to climate change. And then there have just been practical things like as a community where we just say, okay, well, as mission Hills, what can we do? What can we do with, with our space? What can we do with our time? What can we do with our, our conversations and how do we want to move, uh, and continually raise the bar for ourselves and for each other, and maybe be a little bit of an example for a roadmap for how communities could move along this path um, and be a part of that conversation as well. And so this year, even, uh, you know, we we are a carbon neutral community uh, and we, we hope to be a carbon negative community. Several ways that we've gone about doing that this year is, I mean, we've continued to transform our space. So we're adding, uh, we're cutting, we're continuing to cut water usage, add, add green space, add garden space, um, to live into that embodiment to really have, to, we, we have over two acres on, on our property at mission Hills. And so how do we create a property where people can feel and sense, have a sense of embodiment with the earth when you have two acres to, to use. And that is a long process, especially when you have a small budget like mission Hills. So that has been really a five, six year process to, to redo our spaces, um, incrementally. Uh, we also became members of 1% for the planet this year. Kelly's smiling right now because we've been wanting to become members of 1% for the planet. And you've probably seen 1% for the planet on tons of corporate branding. It is a network of brands, companies that all say what we do as a business we want to at least give back 1% of the environment and be in a network of other businesses, corporations, and brands that also say what we do, we recognize that it has an environmental impact and we want to give back and be a part of a network of nonprofits and businesses who are 
taking what they're doing and with a mindset of giving it back. And so you've probably seen it all over the place. If you go to the grocery store, you'll probably find brands and packaging now that'll have, it'll designate if a brand is 1% for the planet or not. So Mission Hills is officially a 1% for the planet partner. Uh, we are members, we pay membership dues for that, and we give back over 1% already to uh, environmental organizations. Uh, part of that is part of uh, another partnership with Carbon Fund. So Carbon Fund is carbonfund.org is another organization where you can completely uh, carbon offset your estimated uh, energy expenditure in a year. So if you're a business, you go in, you put in um, how much energy you use, how big your property is, how many square foot, if you have a building, how big your space is. And Carbon Fund will estimate estimate how much energy your organization uses, how, how big is your staff, and then give you the opportunity to purchase carbon offsets for that. So in an effort to become carbon negative, obviously we, we have solar panels that use, um, that overproduce our energy usage. So we're kind of in that way going beyond our expenditure with carbon fund in that effort to be carbon negative. Uh, now all of this is uh, an imperfect system in, in many ways um, and purchasing carbon offsets, uh, I don't think are the end all solution to climate change or the problem, but it is to say here is another way that you can be mindful and engage your energy usage for us as a community. Uh, to say, all right, well, how can we estimate how much energy we are responsible for? And in a sense, how much carbon we are responsible for putting back into the atmosphere with the with the activities that we engage in. And another way Kelly and I were thinking about this and have talked about for years is, OK, well, people drive and not everyone has a Tesla emission hills. So so, you know, people who spend, uh, you know, spend time and energy driving to Mission Hills. Uh, we should think about carbon offsetting all of that driving. So that's another thing that we did a carbon offset purchase for in 2022 is to carbon offset all of the estimated driving. Um, and I think that that was over 30,000 miles as we, we estimated what it, how much, how many, how much mileage everybody spent driving to and from church, um, throughout the year was around 30,000 miles. So all of that is off also carbon offset. So if you look on our website, it says, all travel to and from Mission Hills is carbon offset, 1% for the planet. We're, of course, members of carbonfund.org, and we are solar powered. So part of that is clarity on our website so that when people come to our website now, we have a, a little bit of a story to tell as Mission Hills, where we say, we have done these things, community garden, changing all the things that we said. And then also, we want to set the bar for ourselves to say, and we want to continue to be sure we offset all of our energy usage. We offset all of everybody's travel. So nobody even has to think when they drive, uh, should I, not that that's the only reason people don't come to church because they don't want to hear me talk, let's face it. But but we don't want anything to hold people back uh, from thinking about, oh, well, if I drive to church, then I am you know responsible for emitting a X amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Like that is all carbon offset up to 30,000 miles. So unless you come to Mission Hills all the time, uh, we're good there. And then also to say, we want to be known for being a part of the network for 1% for the planet to say, not only that we we give back 1% uh, of everything that Mission Hills takes in in a year, but that we want to be a part of this network that says, hey, we care about environmental issues and we care about associating, 
associating ourselves with companies and brands who at least do that. Uh, and like I said, that's not a perfect system, but it is something to say that these are practical things that Mission Hills has sought to do as a, as an organization to say, all right, uh, how can we take our our value set and the idea the ideas around eco spirituality and put them into uh, an organizational form that people that do come to Mission Hills and are uh, a part of Mission Hills consistently to say, all right, our community does this and 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 lives our values in a variety of different ways. Um, that while it might be imperfect, it does give you. Uh, a little bit of a foothold or a launching off place to engage in the environment in a variety of different ways that we have talked about over the last five years. And that alignment is so important between what we say and what we do. And I'm excited for, as we look towards the future, that we'll be able to share that kind of blueprint with other communities, especially those within our denomination, where there are grants and there are things that folks can utilize that is set up specifically for this goal of getting to a certain number of congregations that are carbon neutral by 2030 or whatever the year is, that we have something practical and tangible that we can offer and also say, you know, we've centered it in the sense of who and how we believe the divine to be working and what we're doing. Um, and I think the embodiment piece is something that's so important to me because of how it's much easier to misuse something if you aren't in relationship with it. And so the greater depth, the greater time that you can offer yourself to connect with the things that you value, whether that is simply, you know, spending time where your feet are actually touching the ground, where you are working the earth. I think that's why the garden days have been such a beautiful representation of that as church too. The space that we spent uh two months back, I think, mm. um, with an embodiment service pretty much where, hey, these are all the practices that we have to offer you if you want to spend time walking, if you want to spend time meditating with all of the sounds of the creatures around you, the trees blowing in the air, that sort of thing. If you need time for quiet, we have to set that side, uh, that all aside intentionally because we do get so caught up with kind of the pace of life. And that's what I appreciate even on our normal weeks within Mission Hills, we have time for meditation, a time for quiet to balance out everything that is trying to get an input in our lives. And the more that we can be connected to those values, to the reason why we do things, I think the better chance we have at avoiding burnout. Um, I think it's so interesting in framing it that way than just understanding the truth of, I think for me, at least when I look at environmental awareness and how did we get to the point that we are in the kind of climate on fire situation, mm -hmm. like human greed is one of the most invasive species, right? Like that's why we get corporations who are able to cut down trees, right? And whole forests just for the sake of, of profit. That's something that I think we can say is not of God, is not of something that helps us center our understanding of the worth and dignity mm -hmm. of all beings around us, including humanity. Um, and I think that's that that's what draws me into this conversation and just begins with the starting point, but then takes place in the practical sense of what does this look like in my life, in our community's life? How do I want to show up? How do I want to be known? 
and not just me as an individual, but the collective us to be known as folks who are aware of these things, are okay with it being a messy process, are okay with the fact that we aren't going to get it right all of the time. We're going to try and find out what works, but we can have that humility too to say, we're still trying to figure these things out, but here's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the theological dimension to me is, is interesting because people, whether they know they have ideas about God or not, they are bringing those into their lives in, in really particular ways. And so when we engage in talking about eco-spirituality, we're just saying that there is, there is a spiritual dimension to how we approach the environment, environmental crisis that we find ourselves in. And that's not necessarily um, mapping a, cert a certain kind of Christian worldview onto someone, um, but it does say something about how you see what is ultimate reality, how you define that, whether that, like you said, greed or capitalism, whatever is uh, a person's or a group of persons, ultimate reality or objective is going to characterize how they treat their environment. And that could be in big things or small things. And so when we approach environmental issues at Mission Hills, it is from all of these different angles and it can be practical. It can say, okay, well, if um, every American ate uh, one less meal of meat in a week, it would have this much uh, carbon impact, right? It could be very practical, but it is also to say, well, why? Why? Why are we doing that? Is it because it's it's the right thing to do? Or from a eco-spiritual perspective or a perspective that we want to engage in at Mission Hills is, okay, what is the theological dimension? What is your view of ultimate reality? And how is that impacting how you engage the world? And that could be in specific environmental issues, or it could just be how you engage in your relationships or at your work. And everything is theological in that way, and everything is spiritual in that way. And to a certain degree, everything is ecological and environmental because you're expending energy doing something. And that's going to have a certain quantifiable environmental impact. And so when we measure that across everybody, then obviously that environmental impact makes a huge difference. And so that's not to say we're going to make everything individualistic, because that's another debate we, we always have at Mission Hills is how much responsibility do individuals bear versus how much responsibility corporations bear. We know the statistic about 73% of all carbon emissions are, are due to 100 companies out there. But that aside, we don't we don't completely negate the individual action or the individual responsibility or the in individual's um, dignity. Uh, but we do expand that to uh, having a, you and I were talking about, uh, you know, environmental issues and a word that's thrown around all the time is a um, anthrop, I can never say, I can never say it the first time. It's like, it's like a word you don't say, all right, I'm, I'm going to like build up this word, right? Uh, and I'm not going to ever be able to say it, but it's a word you don't really use. And then you, then you go to say anthropocentric and I see it. There I go. I said it anthropocentric. Um, then you go to say it for the first time in a while. And yeah, totally botched that. Okay. So okay, it happened to me right before this from conversation. An, from an anthropocentric worldview, which is just to say that there is a hierarchy in which humans are centered, right? Like humans are the center of the universe or the center of the ecological, uh, 
environment and consciousness and therefore um, humans in any given scenario are priority and most important. And a lot of traditional Christianity centers the human for a variety of different reasons, which we don't have to get into today. But when, whenever that is shifted theologically to where you see God in everything, big and small, to use, you know, Francis's um, lens a little bit, you know, uh, brother, sister, uh, oh gosh, I totally botched that too. Uh, was it brother moon, sister? No, it's brother, son, sister moon. Is that what it is? Anyways, sure. um, where you start to see the divine in everything big and small and not as, uh, God as off far distant in the heavens. And we're down here left to sort of like cultivate and rule everything that is on the earth. But you actually start to see God in everything, in all living things. And once we start thinking about how to um, shift that theological view from a, particularly from a Christian perspective, but not exclusively from a Christian perspective, but just part of our conversation at Mission Hills, uh, then we do inevitably approach every environmental issue differently because everything is Christ-soaked. Everything is God. Everything is um, the divine. We talk a lot about process theology at Mission Hills. We talk a lot about panentheism at Mission Hills, which all that to say is God is in process with the ongoing creation of the universe in you and in me and in every living thing. And if every living thing is soaked with the very presence of God, then it is not only imperative to to care for it, but that it has its own life and its own dignity. And how do we engage our world where we see everything as um, belonging and independent with its own um, unique universe? And so to me, thinking about eco-spirituality, it first involves somewhat of a theological shift. Like it doesn't see, it seems, I don't want to speak like in definites, but like it seems really difficult to, to talk about eco-spirituality if you're bringing a, uh, an anthropocentric or a hierarchical view of dominion in any kind of way to creation or to, um, to nature, because it is then your responsibility to somehow manipulate it, control it, fix it, Rather than saying, "Well, how do we, how do we co- cooperate with our environment? How do we learn from our environment? What do we have? What, how do we be in in an environment where we're actually receiving something and not responsible for co- coercing it and manipulating it?" So, for me, part of like thinking about eco spirituality and, and thinking a little bit about this series is from that perspective where we are. Um, we are not always in the driver's seat when it comes to how we approach the environment where sometimes that's, that's fine and necessary. And it's going to take a lot of will and a lot of work to, um, to keep the planet from warming above 2.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. Like that, that number might've already even passed, uh, the possibility of that. So I'm not saying that there's not going to be work there, Kelly. Okay. Kelly's looking at a lot of work. Uh, but, but, (laughs) but all that to say is that, Whenever we're thinking about eco-spirituality, we're we're trying to think about the dimensions to the the universe and to the life of God that exists in everything that we might not have previously considered. 
and what is there to to learn there and what is there to for us to just uh, to be in the presence of. I love I love that vision. And I think something that has always struck me when we have these conversations around some form of justice is that it is all tied together, that there's something that's all connected in many ways. And the way that we've talked about LGBTQ inclusion slash belonging in the past, I think also relates to how we talk about the environment where inclusion is saying, yeah, you like you are, you're welcome here. You know, you're, you're able to come into this space, but belonging says like, we're not whole without you. And if we take that kind of posture with all of the environment, with creation around us, that we are not whole without every living being around us and considering them as part of that great family, the presence, um, the ultimate reality, then it completely shifts away from that. I've seen a graphic where it calls the ecological pyramid with humans up on top versus the ecological kind of circle where everyone Everyone is, uh, and every being, you know, with a pulse or, or with not, um, is is equal in that sense. Mm. And I, I really appreciate kind of that sentiment where, you know, I'm not whole without the other. Mm. Um, not in the same way, like we all experience wholeness, but it's just to, to go a step further and say, like, we need you here. Uh, we need your presence. We need that input um, that there's this balance between the wholeness that we have in ourselves um, that we don't have to be like completed necessarily by anything, but that we are in partnership and in relationship with Hmm. all of Hope that makes sense. That clarification. Yeah. And I think it, it goes into maybe what we want to touch on this month in our, our, our conversations around, okay, well, where is mission Hill situated now? Where do we see our community going from here? Uh, because it, it has taken a lot of work and a lot of years to sort of develop all of these uh, practices and, and things that we've done within our community and within our church to say, all right, this is what we value. What are opportunities to live out these values? And so it is interesting now, five years in or so, to say, all right, well, we have this base from, and how do we how do we deepen that? How do we deepen our our spiritual practices? What do what are people in our community curious about talking about and going deeper with? And I don't know if you have any anything off the top of your head as far as where you would hope to see Mission Hills go in the coming months and years, and maybe even just in this month uh, as we approach Environmental Awareness Month. About what are things that you would like to talk about in the sense that like we've already laid this foundation, what would you hope to to talk about this month or going forward? It's a great question. I think in terms of a practical sense of action, I'm excited to see, you know, as we continue to create space for environmental embodiment, um, relationship to the earth, I'm excited to see conversations happen with other communities to see if we can help, you know, share that kind of blueprint so that other communities can get into some way of engaging environmental care and eco-spirituality. But for us and where we are, I think an important conversation to have is between this balance of understanding and naming the eco-anxiety and then also moving towards practices that help create a space of of rest towards wholeness 
um, towards how are we able to help one another in this time and space that sometimes we do need to sit in the pit of despair, as I call it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we do need to have a sense of a pity party of everything feels like it's exploding and everything is hard. And how can I, you know, be working my job and taking care of my family and aware of these issues. Um, But then also (laughs) moving towards a space of, hey, we're, we are moving towards something together. Um, we still have a sense of hope. Like, what does hope look like right now? Um, I think that's that's where I hope to see our conversation move. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important. I think for me, uh, I think as a, as a church, I think developing the eco-spiritual practices of um, having, having certain kind of rhythms and then getting feedback of what other people in our community have also experienced is going to be, uh, I think, really interesting to be in conversation with over the course of September of how do we think about even the term eco-spirituality and what 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 works for people as far as uh, eco-spiritual practices. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, even as we engaged this conversation several years ago, was um, our, our good friend Sochi said that uh, for her, she just needed to touch something green every day because so much of her life was spent uh, in a classroom and going from one thing to the next that it needed to start that small for her is just to be mindful enough to touch one green thing every day. And for some reason, that's always just stuck with me because she was in a spot where that was her eco-spiritual practice was to touch something green and to remind her of whatever it was that 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 was reminding of her of in in her spiritual practice. So all that to say is um, I, I'm curious to see where those kind of conversations go. Um, I guess we're about at the end of time. Let's uh, let's wrap up with what is your favorite thing, Kelly, about Mission Hills and our sort of environmental approach? Like what, what just or you can name a couple. I don't it doesn't matter. Like what what sticks out in your mind when you think of Mission Hills and environmental engagement? broadly the phrase that comes to mind is that we do what we say we do in terms of environmental care that there is a a practical and tangible form of of how we put this out into the world around us especially within the local community of mission hills um but i just i really appreciate that you know church is the garden garden is the church Um, that we can touch something green and that is holy and sacred, that it's part of who we are, the words that we use on Sunday, um, to the point where we almost forget because it's so embedded in who we are now at this point, that there's, there has been this arc of, yeah, this is just how, this is how we're showing up right now, um, that we don't take ourselves too seriously necessarily, especially in these hard conversations, but that there's room to grow um, and we can continue to be grounded even when like the big storms hit. So mm. I, I really do see Mission Hills for me as, you know, it's taken on the season and the life of a tree that the, the roots have grown stronger, even as the hard things have, have hit us that we've been able to weather so much, um, and still see, see new life, um, see that pattern of life, death and resurrection as we are going through this process of environmental care. Yeah, that's really great. It's beautiful. Cool. Well, I think that's uh, a great place to wrap it up for this week. Uh, I hope that you'll join us 
all during the month of September as we talk about Mercy, Mercy Me, a series on eco-spirituality and all the great conversations that will come as a result of that. So um, be well. And as, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and life, live life to the fullest. Amen. Amen.